0: I listen to The Diaries because it sparks ideas for new adventures. Whether it is an episode about an epic adventure or a backyard micro adventure, I start thinking about my next adventure. I'm inspired by the people and their stories to go a little farther and dig a little deeper. If you want to add more spark to your adventurous ideas, consider subscribing to The Diaries Plus today. I'm Crystal, a longtime listener from the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina.
1: Thanks to everyone who has subscribed to the Diaries Plus. It's been awesome, and you're powering the show as we move into the future. If you're interested in subscribing today, there's a link in the show notes. Please join. Now, on to the show. Hey everyone, just a quick heads up. This episode contains a mention of suicidal ideation.
0: I swung my backpack into the car and jumped in. Exhausted, but happy to be home after an 11-hour flight, my parents and dog had come to pick me up from the airport. I hadn't seen them in six months. At 22, it was the longest I'd ever been away from home. I'd just completed a through-hike of the Pacific Crest Trail, and I still had the dirt under my fingernails and the sock-tan lines to prove it. With one hand resting on my pack, I entertained them with stories from the trail as we wound down country lanes. The three hour drive to the village that I grew up in flew by. I told my parents about the bear that had come bounding toward me on my very last day on the trail. The rattlesnake I had leapt over, hissing and striking at my ankles, the trail angels who gave me food, water, and shelter, and the friends I'd met on the trail. I missed it already. I had first learned about the PCT 18 months before. Right after graduating from university, I happened to pick up a book that described a trail stretching from Mexico to Canada. I told my roommates what I'd discovered. Can you believe it? It's a hiking trail, but like thousands of miles long. I had no idea such a thing existed. I was struck by the idea that regular people could hike across a country. I think I'm going to do it, I told them. I decided to phone my mum next and tell her the good news. Oh God, you're not planning to hike this trail, are you? She was fretting before I even got the words out. I told her it wasn't that I thought I could do it. I needed to do it. She replied that she wouldn't be able to sleep the entire time I was out there. My father's response was equally apprehensive. There's no way you're going to be able to do that, he said. But it only strengthened my determination. By the end of that month, I'd booked my flights. In London, I'd studied full-time and held down a multitude of part-time jobs to help pay my rent and bills. I loved the rush of the city when I first moved there at 18, especially in contrast to the quiet village in which I'd grown up. But after a few years, I was constantly busy and tired. I struggled with depression and anxiety, and with tens of thousands in student debt hanging over my shoulders... And a prescription for antidepressants in my pocket, I felt directionless. The PCT finally gave me a direction. Canada by foot. My family's doubts were not exactly unfounded. I'd loved being in nature since childhood, when I would spend hours roaming around the countryside in the woods, but I had no real outdoor experience bar some school backpacking trips in Wales, where I'd almost got left behind for being so slow. But I just had a feeling that this was something I could do, a feeling that it was right for me. I got my PCT permit lined up for mid-April of 2017. I moved onto my friend's living room floor to save money. I started ordering gear, a backpack, a stove, a tiny lightweight headlamp, It felt like Christmas every time a new piece of gear arrived in the post, a step further to being ready to leave. A few months later, sitting in the dusty desert, I knew that my hunch had been right. On the PCT, I felt freer than I ever had. Physically, It was up there as one of the hardest things I'd ever done. But life here was broken down into simple goals. I spent my days in the sun, breathing pine and cedar and creosote, sleeping under the stars. I learnt to name the constellations that poked through the mesh of my tent at night. I started to get stronger, little by little, one foot in front of the other, powering up snow-covered passes and glissading down them at exhilarating speeds. All I had to think about was how many miles to push, how much food to eat, how much water to drink, and how to keep myself and my trail friends laughing through the tough moments. After their initial doubts, my parents and friends soon began to root for me. My parents kept a map of the West Coast on their fridge where they marked my progress. They became almost as invested as I was in my completion of the trail. One day, my dad called. He'd done the maths and found that at the pace I was averaging, I wasn't going to finish the trail before my US visa expired in September. So I worked harder than ever consistently pushing out over 30 mile days. My trail friends and I made it to the border in plenty of time. As I neared my final days on the trail, the snow started to fly. I woke up every morning shivering. My sleeping bag spun all over with a sheet of glittering ice. I felt tired and proud, ready to go home. Three months after I finished the trail, on paper, I was making a very successful return to normal life. A media company in London offered me a position as a video editor. I moved back into the friend's place where I'd lived on the floor, but this time I had a room all of my own. I started paying back my student loans again. Internally, though, my mental health was deteriorating at a frightening pace. As winter came, I got sucked into the monotony and stress of constant deadlines, soulless corporate briefs, and grey tower blocks. I woke up every day dreaming of creosote and the dirt-streaked happiness of the PCT. You can't see any mountains from London. No saguaro cactuses stud the landscape. Some days, I could hardly contain my tears on the tube to work, as the underground carriage, packed full of people, rumbled towards another day in the office. I refilled my antidepressant prescription and stopped talking about the trail. It was too painful to even think about most days. I had come across post-trail depression in my pre-trail research, but this felt like more than the post-trip blues I'd read about. The PCT had felt like a lifeline stretching out in front of me. But I'd fallen off the end of that lifeline with even less direction than I'd had before. I felt sick with grief for life on the trail. What do you do when the thing you thought would save you doesn't save you? I don't know when I started feeling suicidal. The desire for death was wild and frightening, like being caught in a storm when you only just went out to buy some milk. I'd suffered through depressive episodes for years, but I'd never felt like this before. It was shocking in its strength, and at the same time, utterly mundane. It occurred to me as an option no more thrilling than the decision to put on a pair of socks. An option I didn't know was there, like a side trail leading directly off the top of a mountain and into... nothing. I kept going to work, seeing friends, but inside I grasped for something to live for. I didn't tell anyone even the therapist I had started seeing, and I still very rarely talk about it. I kept my mouth shut because of the stigma around suicidal thoughts. I decided I wanted to hike the PCT again the following year, southbound this time. I mentioned my plans to a friend, but he turned to me very seriously and said, no, you can't. You cannot go back to the trail until you're happy with the rest of your life. Otherwise, you'll never be happy. I was stunned by his conviction, but he was right. If I went back, I would be running away from everything the trail had tried to teach me. I'd be running to a place I felt safe, where I knew I could be at peace. But it couldn't last. I would finish the trail and be right back where I started. When life itself is intolerable, You have to search out ways to make it tolerable and joyful again. I had to change my reality and create a better life for myself, to find a way to embody the life I'd lived on the trail every day. I'd started climbing while I was training for the PCT. I loved learning how to move my body in new ways. It was one of the few things I felt excited to get back to upon coming home and I started a membership at my closest gym straight away. Shortly after Christmas, I saw a job advertising for a front counter and trainee instructor job. I decided to apply. I got the job at the gym, left my editing job, and started working with a bunch of dirtbag climbers. I learned how to push beginners to climb and taught a women's group I'd participated in the year before. I pushed myself on and off the wall, and felt joy at seeing beginners come down from their first climbs, flushed with excitement. I started climbing outside for the first time, first sport climbing and bouldering, and soon I learnt to love trad climbing. Even though it scared me, I found joy in sinking gear into cracks. I loved the moving meditation of my body on stone. After I started trad climbing, I decided to take steps towards a career as a guide. I took my single pitch instructor and wilderness first responder courses, found a mentor and climbed every day I could. I felt hope for the first time since coming home from the PCT. Maybe there was a path for me after all. Soon, I found a job as a climbing instructor at a backcountry summer camp in Desolation Wilderness, California. I spent the summer living in the backcountry, teaching kids to climb outdoors, taking them on backpacking trips and swimming in alpine lakes at night. Coincidentally, the camp was located just a few miles from the PCT, on the edge of Loon Lake. When the season ended, I bought a minivan and spent the winter climbing in the desert. I was built to be outdoors, and I was finally content. My depressive episodes were still there, but they'd become easier to manage. There's a common narrative which exists in so much outdoor literature that through hiking will fix you and solve your internal and external problems. The hiker returns to her regular life renewed and is better equipped to deal with the stresses of society. Well, this sentiment isn't wrong, I discovered that a thru-hike is not a fix-all. The PCT improved my mental health for a while, but working on mental health requires consistent, long-reaching change. My body knew this before my mind did. In going back to the city, I was retreating to the same cage I'd broken out of in the first place. Despite my struggles on the PCT, I wouldn't give up my time on the trail for anything. In the past four years, I've climbed, trail run, backpacked and instructed in the backcountry all over the US, Canada and the UK. If the trail taught me anything, it's that a hike or climb means little by itself. The meaning lies in how it affects my life afterwards and how I impact others in turn. I was lucky enough to have a good friend get real with me about my relationship between the outdoors and my mental health. Now, as an instructor, I strive to support my students' mental health just as much as I support their climbing and adventure goals. After all, I realised my life, and probably many more, depend on us being there for each other. I'm Emily Bennington, and this is my short...
1: Thank you, Emily, for sharing your story. Our stories come from friends, from friends of friends, and from you, our community. If you have a compelling idea for a guest or a story lead, please give us a shout. You can use the submission form on our website, DirtBagDiaries.com. Music today from Bradley Carter, John Barry, Kai Engel, Publish the Quest, and Brennan O'Connell. The tracks are courtesy of the Artists or Free Music Archive. Jacob Bain and Nise Koto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artists at our website, DirtbagDiaries.com. This episode was produced by Cordelia Zars, with additional production help from Ashley Langholtz and Becca Cahal. Artwork by Anya Miller. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. Support comes from Kuat Racks. Their Ibex Overlanding Truck Bed Rack is made to handle substantial loads both on and off the grid. You can go anywhere with it. Seriously, constructed from lightweight yet durable aluminum, the black powder coat is made for all the nature you can throw at it. Available in seven different frame sizes to accommodate most truck models, the Ibex is engineered for adventure with versatile full and half-height configurations. For more details and to visualize your ibex configuration you should do this it's super cool it's a neat augmented reality program check it out see what it would look like on your truck it works super well visit com, kuat because you will absolutely love this overlanding truck bed rack